the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to tonight's Andrea K Show. It's my favorite day of the week. I get to come back after a great, relaxing weekend and just kick it off another week with you guys here on AM 1170, The Answer, San Diego, 6 to 8 p.m. every night of the week. Jot this little number down, 888-344-1170. That's 888-344-1170. Got lots to get into tonight. We're celebrating Bus Day. That's Columbus Day, for those of you. And curious if you guys... I, I, I've got a little information to share with you guys, believe it or not, that came to me today from the brother of Sylvester Stallone on Columbus Day. But if there's anything that you want to share with me about it, give me a call, 888-344-1170. Got a question for you. I didn't really, growing up, we studied Columbus Day in the schools, but, uh, you know, I didn't, I wasn't aware of any controversy. and And I don't really have a whole lot of memory of really being conscious about Columbus Day as a thing, right? Like, I don't remember, did we go to school? Did we not? I don't remember nobody, we didn't really dress up. And I don't remember beyond it being mentioned maybe once a year at some point in a history class. I don't remember it being a thing. Can somebody tell me when this became a thing or, or, or was it always a thing for you? And I'm just the oddball out that it was never a thing for me when I was growing up. And now suddenly it's so controversial, Right. To where now it's like, I mean, I mean, I call it CBUS. Friends of mine, by the way, and family that live in Columbus, Georgia, they call it CBUS. So I thought, well, maybe it's so controversial to say happy Columbus Day to y'all out there. I said happy CBUS Day. Funny meme going around today. Uh, happy Indigenous Peoples Day with our very own Focahontas featured in the meme. 888-344-1170. Got that to talk about tonight. The Democrats have a racism problem. <laughs> At the same time, and it is rearing, it's ugly. Uh, the, the I guess I, I try. I started to say it, it reared its ugly head uh, that's been buried, but more like been in a closet, right? And that head popped out of the closet today, involving none other than Katie Hobbs. We've got actually we got multiple stories exposing the truth about Democrats and racism. Who out there knows what the Monroe Doctrine is? I didn't remember the Monroe Doctrine. I studied political science. I've got a guest coming on a little bit later in the show, Sel- Selwyn Duke, who who's posing the question today that does Russia have a right to its own Monroe Doctrine? As we're seeing horrific images coming out of Ukraine today, Zelensky asking for help, asking for NATO involvement. We see bridges on fire. We see threats of of nuclear terror happening. I think that it's important that we look at history. We look at geopolitical movements around the world. We look at our own Monroe Doctrine and start asking some, I've been asking some really serious questions. I'm not an expert when it comes to foreign policy, certainly not Russia and Ukraine, but nobody's been able to answer any of my questions. So stay tuned because I think Selwyn Duke has some interesting answers. Before I go any further, I got to bring in this man who always has some interesting tunes to play every time he's in the booth. I'm talking about DJ Jalapeno. 
show. One more time, anyway. Yes, one more time. It's his last night because our man uh, DJ Taterskins will be back tomorrow. Uh, he's been, y'all know, he got married and he's been on his honeymoon, and so he's he's coming back tomorrow. It feels like he's been gone a long time, but I got to tell you, I've had such a great time having Jalapeno here in the house, just keeping me dancing in my chair. Jalapeno, was there ever? Thinking of Columbus Day, and do you remember growing up, was Columbus Day a big thing? You grew up in the Northeast. Was that, what was Columbus Day like when you were growing up? Because we really didn't do a big thing about it in the South. It was a three-day weekend. We didn't have to go to school. Yeah, but it wasn't like a big thing, right? No, there was nothing, there was no fireworks to go to or anything like that. Yeah, I I mean, so it's, it's been obvious in recent times that the Columbus Day issues that that the left has been trying to put for and and attempting to cancel Columbus is really just about politics, right? The same same tactics of which they're trying to use against our founding fathers. I mean, if there's if there's anything that's that's part of traditional America, the left has to try to destroy it and say that it stinks and it's bad. Everything traditional America, the foundation, the fabric of our nation, they have to find something wrong with it so that they can justify uh, tearing uh, apart that fabric and rebuilding it according to their Marxist schemes. And I don't pretend to be an expert in Columbus other than, you know, what what was the old little 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 rhyme? Fourteen ninety two, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. I mean, other than that, I'm not. I don't pretend to be. I didn't major in history. I don't pretend to be an expert on Columbus. Um, so I don't know. Did Columbus do some bad things back in the day? I mean, was he? You know, did he launch the original Me Too movement? Supposedly, you know, he did bad things against women. When I think about what we were. What we were celebrating in my world was was the founding of America. It was not and it, it was not the United States of America endorsing this man's every choice and everything that he did in his life. I don't remember that. Right. And who who of us who of us could could have their life put under a magnifying glass and not find something wrong? I, you know, if, if he did bad things, it doesn't change the fact that he supposedly founded America, and that's supposed to be what we celebrate. I thought this was interesting today. Um, what's Sylvester Stallone's brother's name? He, the singer, Frank, right? Frank Stallone, isn't that his yes. name? Yes, Frank Stallone. Stallone. Proud Ita- Italian-American. See, one of the things that as the left has fought to destroy the reputation and um, in order to justify America's evil and we need to not celebrate Columbus Day, we need to celebrate N- Indigenous People Day because the founding of America was evil, one of the things that the, the groups of people that's being forgotten about is the Italian-Americans, the Italians as it's pronounced in the South, right? Well, Frank Stallone, being the good Italian boy himself, he tweeted this today. Uh, Columbus Day was signed into law by President Benjamin Harrison in 1892 as a tribute and an act of forgiveness to the Italian immigrant community in response to the lynchings of 11 Italians that took place in New Orleans, oh my, on March 14, 1891. To this day, still the largest number of people ever lynched at one time in the United States. The Columbus Day holiday quickly became a great source of pride and symbol of defiance for the Italian-American community against these horrific murders. To tear down a statue of Columbus is a slap in the face to Italian-Americans. Could be why the Columbus statue in Philadelphia had a box, I guess, erected around it and it was painted uh, sometime over the weekend, it was painted in the red, white, and green uh, Italian colors. 
I, I didn't have an opportunity to research this story today and whether or not this happened. We do know that Italian immigrants were mistreated in this country. They were part of the slave trade. We know that they were uh, they were um, part of the indentured servitude. They were certainly mistreated. You know, there's there's you know, America doesn't have a perfect past. And the the bad things that happened were not exclusive to one or two different identity groups on a box. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I why can't why can't the Italian Americans. Why can't they have their symbol? Why do the Democrats have to try to make it? It's so narcissistic, so self-centered, so egomaniacal. And I will tell you, one of the things that I've said before, um, and I've joked, you know, about how, you know, um, this whole Indigenous People Day, Native American stuff, you know, don't try to, you know, don't try to act like you care about my people. And I've jokingly referred to Native Americans as my people. I, I, I do know that I have Native, Native American history. I haven't cared enough to trace it. I have no idea. I refuse to do Ancestry.com and because I don't care what, what percentage is this and what percentage is that. I'm just not interested. I'm an American. I'm an American first. I'm an American and I'm a woman. That's what matters to me, not my ancestry. Right. Um, but if I were to find out that I have, but whatever, whatever percentage of Native American I have, Creek, I think they're Creek or Choctaw. I don't even remember um, the, the tribe in my background. Um, you know, I, I, I don't sit around. Even if I were to find out that it was some large percentage, I would not care about what happened centuries ago. It didn't have that doesn't have anything to do with me. Why sit around and yammer and complain over something that you have no control over that has no effect on your life? But if we're going to talk about Native Americans, I seem to remember a story about how uh, a certain number of Native Americans were told to give up their weapons. To give up their weapons for protection from the U.S. government, and then they were slaughtered. I think if there's anything we need to learn about the Native American community, it might be that. Right. It might be it might be a warning to not trust the government and certainly to respect the Second Amendment. Just an idea. We're going to take a break. We come back. You know, the Democrats pretending they care about indigenous people and Native American people. It's just part of their phony lies as they try to pretend that they care that they're the party of anti-racism when they're the real racist. And we got a couple of examples of that when we come back. Don't go away. This is the Andrea K. Show on AM 1170. The answer, San Diego. It's the Andrea K Show on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to tonight's Andrea K Show. The Democrats have a racism problem. While they're sitting here trying to tell you that you shouldn't celebrate, you shouldn't say happy Columbus Day and this and that. and Because, you know, Columbus Day in America is so inherently racist. On the very same day, we got some explosive news about some Democrats. And one, one Democrat you may not have even heard of. Um... It's actually the head of the city council in Los Angeles. I want to read you a, a play a little soundbite here so you guys can hear exactly what this person had to say. She, in fact, this is so bad because you, you know how when the Democrats get busted in anything, they never resign, right? I mean, we've still got we, we had the governor Northam Northam. I, I can't remember his name. Uh, who actually sent in in his medical school yearbook, sent in a picture. It, it, there was a picture of him and another person. To this day, we don't know. Was he the one in the clown hood, uh, in the Klan hood or was he the one in the blackface, right? If that had been a Republican, he would have been run out on a rail. 
Right. Remember what happened to Trent Lott? But it was a Democrat. So he just stayed in there until um, he, you know, his time came up. And now we have Yunkin in Virginia. Um, but here, the, in the case of the uh, Los Angeles City Council president, it was so ugly that she had to resign. Listen to this story and uh, from Fox News. Fox News alert now. The president of the Los Angeles City Council is resigning this just in after audio leaked of her making racist remarks about a fellow council member's son. Chief correspondent Jonathan Hunt is in Los Angeles. He's got the breaking news for us. Jonathan, uh, we are getting a brand new statement now from Nuri Martinez. What are we hearing? Yeah, she is resigning effective immediately. So let's get to how this happened. It was during a conversation among several high-profile Latino council members, all Democrats. The group included the council president, Nuri Martinez. She has, as I say, now resigned under intense pressure after using racist language when discussing the black son of white council member Mike Bonin, also a Democrat. In the apparently secretly recorded audio obtained by the LA Times, Martinez using a Spanish phrase refers to Bonin's son as being quote, like a little monkey and goes on to say the boy misbehaved on a parade float during Martin Luther King Day is being raised like a white child and quote, this kid needs a beatdown. Councilman Bonin released a joint statement with his husband saying in part, quote, we love our son, a beautiful, joy child and our family is hurting today. No child should ever be subjected to such racist, mean and dehumanizing comments, especially from a public official. Now, in her resignation statement, which we have just received, Martinez said in part, quote, I take responsibility for what I said and there are no excuses for those comments. I'm so sorry. I sincerely apologize to the people I hurt with my words to my colleagues, their families, especially to Mike, meaning Bonin, the other council member, Sean, his husband, and your son, she says. As a mother, I know better, and I am sorry. I am truly ashamed. I know this is the result of my own actions. I'm sorry to your entire family for putting you through this. She also asked for forgiveness. And- Okay, a couple things here. So um, she refers to this child as looking like a monkey. And in, her, in the part of her apology that he didn't read there uh, was her saying that her, she was offering her sincere apology, not just to this fellow council person, but uh, communities of color. Uh, I, I, what's One of the things that struck me was, where was the apology for white people? She says what she said on tape not just referring to this little um, boy of color as a monkey, which is absolutely despicable and disgusting, but she goes on to say that he's being raised like a white child. Why is that okay? Why is it not equally wrong for her to say that as much as it is for her to refer to him as a little monkey? Why is she not being demanded to apologize to white people? Why is she not being called homophobic at this point? Because the parents were two gay men. Why is she basically she's being given a pass in some ways? She fell on her sword. She 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 quit and she resigned because there was this was so bad. There was no way that she could she could stay in the position. But can you imagine if this was a Republican? What would be said today about the entire Republican Party? Right. 
In the same day that uh, that this L.A. councilwoman, and by the way, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, how come nobody's talking about that she used a Spanish expression that has to do with this little black boy looking like a monkey? She had to run. She had to turn tail and run really quickly because there's just so many ways that this story stinks to high heaven. And she had to run because, quite frankly, this story stinks all the way back to what the Democrat Party has been about from the beginning. It was the Democrat Party that was behind slavery in this country. It was the Democrat Party that fought to keep it. It was the Republican Party that ended slavery, thanks to Abraham Lincoln. And it was the Republican Party that passed civil rights legislation with every Democrat voting against it. The Democrat Party are the racist. They view everything through the prism of color. Another case in point, we already talked about Northam. Let's talk about let's talk about Joe Biden, right? Remember him talking in an Indian accent, you know, about you can't go to a 7-Eleven in his accent. It's appalling. How was how could he be president of the United States? But then again, he referred to a past president of the United States, Barack Obama, said, oh, it's the first uh, black person we've seen who's a black guy who's clean and articulate. It was Hillary Clinton's mentor was, uh, gosh, the, the former, his name, Robert Byrd, the former Grand Wizard of the KKK, right? Was literally considered the heart and soul of the Senate and her mentor, and she spoke at his, at his funeral. The Democrats have a, have a racism problem, and not just on the, uh, the Democrat Party in general, not just in the L.A. City Council, but also as the Democrat nominee for governor in Arizona, Breaking news today that Katie Hobbs, not unlike Governor, what's with these Democrats back in the 80s doing pictures of themselves in in yearbooks in blackface? Never seen that in my life. You know, if I tell people I'm from the South, the first thing they want to do is is assume that I'm racist. Let me tell you, I never saw anybody in, in the South when I was growing up running around in blackface. Certainly didn't happen at my high school, didn't happen at my junior high, didn't happen at my elementary school, didn't happen at LSU. I never saw blackface a day in my life, anywhere in my life in the South. But it, apparently, it's not only was not only in Northrop, uh, his, his yearbook, but also Katie Hobbs. Uh, seems that in her Seton Catholic Prep High School back in the 80s, and this is according to Daily Mail report that came out today, she, as being Little Miss uh, Student Council, she participated in and helped coordinate activities back in 1986 that were well documented in her yearbook that included things like Slave Day, where members of the senior class were subjects of auctions. They actually painted their faces and I guess wore, you know, the, the whole costume and everything. So, of course, Carrie Lake had to chime in because that's who that's who not only are the Democrats supporting Katie Hobbs, remember, as they pretend that they care about people of color in this country. But the but Katie Hobbs was has actually been supported by Republicans for Katie Hobbs coalition. They actually stumped for her at an event in Paradise Valley on Sunday. And former Scottsdale Mayor Sam Capagna was asked, Republican was asked, to reaffirm her support for the Democrat afterwards. And she said, oh, yeah, heck yeah. Her statement was, yes, I do fully support 
Secretary Hobbs. Although I've not seen the story, my two daughters went to probably the same college prep school. I'm not sure what that has to do with it. It was an unfortunate choice for the school. Like it's got nothing at all to do with Katie Hobbs. I'm Catholic and am now immersed in the in the clergy Native American issue. What does that have to do with Katie Hobbs in blackface and uh, Kate, not in blackface, but promoting slavery events back in 1986 with people in blackface? She says, we have a sad history as both Catholics and Americans. Why, I would, why put that on the Catholic Church? As a registered Republican, I now know better and do better. So does Katie Hobbs. So she falls on the sword and basically assumes responsibility for the racism that happened by somebody else. That's how demented the Republican Party is. Next hour, we've got Brian Maloney who's going to be with us. We're one month away. Uh, not the entire Republican Party, but the establishment. The fact that we have a Republican for Katie Hobbs coalition that is still out supporting this racist is astounding to me. I'm going to wrap with a quote by Carrie Lake here. She says, Katie Hobbs record of racism, which already cost American taxpayers two point seven million dollars because she was sued previously uh, by an employee in the in the state Senate. And and, uh, the person who sued her successfully sued. Uh, for racial and sexual discrimination. So Carrie uh, Lake Lake goes on to say uh, her record of racism, which already cost American Arizona taxpayers $2.7 million after she was twice convicted of racist behavior, goes back to high school. The same Katie Hobbs who paid a woman of color $30,000 less than her white male counterparts also thought it appropriate to get involved in a cringe-inducing racist slave day and disgustingly disgusting disgustingly celebrated it in her yearbook and just last week when Hobbs was asked in a form to name one positive thing about the Latino community she could not come up with an answer this is a clear disappointing and alarming pattern but this latest bombshell is beyond the pale silence and hiding won't cut it on this one Katie Hobbs owes it to every Arizonan to come out of hiding and finally take accountability for her troubling record of racism. And if Katie Hobbs won't come out of hiding to explain herself, then the media owes it to the people of Arizona to find her. Look, MSNBC today, Nicole Wallace and Claire McCaskill were all over Carrie Lake today. They're scared to death of this woman. And that quote just shows you why. We're going to take a break. We come back. We got to talk about nuclear war that's looming. So when Duke is going to be here, he's got a question. Does Russia not have a right to its own Monroe Doctrine? What does that mean? And why why should we be concerned about it? Stay tuned for Selwyn Duke on the other side of the break. Andrea Kay, telling you like it is, all while eating a donut. The Andrea Kay Show on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to tonight's Andrea K Show. You longtime Andrea K Show listeners know that I've been, or even if you just recently been listening to the show, you know that I've been asking questions and asking questions about this Russia-Ukraine thing from the beginning. I just, it just didn't make sense to me why, why we were getting involved at all. In fact, it certainly seemed to me as though the U.S. government was actually encouraging us to go in. And even as I've had callers just like recently as a few days ago, and, I, and I've been up front, I am not an expert in foreign policy, certainly not when it comes to Russia and Ukraine. Um, but in the words of the great Judge Judy, if it doesn't make sense, it's not true. And, with there, and nobody has been able to tell me, no matter who it was, what our interest is in being there. I've got more questions. I never get any answers. And then I saw a question today that I hadn't even thought about asking. And the question is, does Russia have a right to its own Monroe Doctrine? And I thought, well, how interesting is that, particularly since I don't know what the Monroe Doctrine is, but my guest certainly does. It's Selwyn Duke. He's written for the New American for more than a decade. 
He's got a great article out right now at The New American You Need to Read. He also writes for The Hill, Observer, The American Conservative, World Net Daily, American Thinker, and on and on and on. And he joins me now. Follow him on Twitter at at Selwyn Duke. It's S-E-L-W-Y-N-D-U-K-E. Hi, Selwyn Duke. Welcome to The Andrea K Show. Andrea, great to be with you. Thank you. Okay, so... um, your article, wow, so much to think about, so much important information here, and and, not, and none of it is anything that I've heard mentioned in any news outlet anywhere, and certainly not by those, the neocons and the supposed military experts, some of which are in conservative media. Um, what your, your main question is, as nuclear war looms, does Russia have a right to its own Monroe Doctrine? Um, I'm not even sure I know where to begin, because before we even get into that, I am just tortured by some of the images I see today. We've got this bridge blowing yeah. up. We've now got Kiev being bombed again. We hear children are being targeted. There's images of seniors with blood all over them. And I, it's just I'm so concerned about where this is headed. And you talk about that in your piece. Like, why are we pushing Russia and this crazy dog with 6,200 nuke heads? Um, your perspective, please. Yeah, well, the bottom line, Andrea, is that we're possibly closer to nuclear war than we've ever been in the history of man. I mean, the reality is that Russia just recently, Israeli intelligence tells us, moved nuclear-capable bombers to a base close to Finland. Then David Petraeus was on the TV a little while back just recently saying that if Russia used a tactical nuclear weapon in Ukraine, that we would sink Russia's Black Sea fleet. Well, this is real saber-rattling. And look, what I wrote about in my article is not to defend Putin. Okay, it's to put things in perspective. And I'm emphasizing that, Andrea, because whenever you talk about these things, there are people out there, the neocons, who want to shut you down with name calling. They'll say, well, you're a stooge Mm -hmm. of Putin. Okay, let's accept that Putin is a bad guy. But guess what? Most world leaders are bad guys. Xi in China is a bad guy. And Zelensky in Ukraine is also a bad guy. But even if you don't think he is, even if you think that he's George Washington reincarnated, (laughs) a little perspective here. The fact of the matter is you have to look at realpolitik. What can you do and what can you not do? Now, understand that Joe Biden, and I don't know who's pulling his strings because we know he doesn't do much thinking, has called for regime change in Russia. Understand what that has done. We have told Putin, essentially, that we want to kill him, because if he loses this war and he loses power, he's going to be shot, most likely, or he's going to be on trial. It's not going to end well for him. And he knows that. So what we've done is, is we've turned this into an existential crisis for Putin. That means, Andrea, that this means a lot more to him than it does to us. Our neocons, our pseudo-elites are playing some kind of geopolitical game as they want to do with our lives and those of our children. But to Russia now, this is life or death, and especially to Putin. And understand something. This is completely unprecedented. In 1950, China invaded Tibet, conquered it, annexed it, and to this day commits cultural and demographic genocide there. But we don't arm the Tibetans. We don't call for the overthrow of Xi. We don't do that. In 1968, the USSR, the Eastern Bloc, rolled tanks into Czechoslovakia. We didn't arm the Czechs. We didn't call for the overthrow of the Soviet government and the changing of the leader. This is unprecedented in human history. 
We did this with Iraq, with Saddam Hussein, because he couldn't incinerate the world. We overthrew Manuel Noriega in Panama, I think it was in 1989. Again, he couldn't destroy the world. But it's unprecedented to do this with a man who's got his finger on the button of 6,200 nuclear weapons. You just don't do that. There's no reason to turn up the heat to that degree. Well, and if I could interject, well, before you move on, um, it's not just the Biden administration. I know John Bolton is not an official at this point, but Lip Broom was out there talking about just the other day that, you know, why can't we take him out? He could be assassinated, uh, referring to Putin the other day. And, you know, and this is the same John Bolton who bragged about part of regime change. Well, Right. I mean, I, I hear your point about Nariega couldn't take out the world and neither could Saddam Hussein and neither could Muammar Gaddafi, neither could right. um, uh, um, Egypt. Um, wh- what was his name in Egypt? We took him out, too. Oh, Gosh, I forget. Yeah, right yeah. Now. Uh, yeah. but 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 it, even though um, it, it wasn't as dangerous to be trying to invoke regime tra- change because these are people that could not take out the rest of the world, um, it didn't go well for us, did it? I mean, did we make things better? Yeah. One of the things you mentioned in your piece is before you get involved, you need to be asking yourself, is there going to be more good than bad coming out of this situation? It doesn't look to me as though when we did get involved in regime change, so in Duke, it doesn't look like it's really been much to our benefit. No, it hasn't. And this is something I didn't mention in my article, but that's relevant here. We took out Gaddafi in Libya and the country just disintegrated. It's worse now. Now, let's say we somehow did take out Putin. Who would take his place? Why would we assume that that would be someone better? The man who's essentially, I believe, second in command, I forget his name, but I understand that he's more of a hardliner than Putin is. So why would we assume that someone better would come along? And if you're talking now about the whole government being brought down in Russia, well, then you're destabilizing a country that has 6,200 nuclear weapons. That may not end well. But Hosni Mubarak, excuse me for interrupting, Hosni Mubarak, that's who it was out of Egypt. Go ahead. Very good. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, the whole thing is, though, I try to put this in perspective in my article. I say, look, in 1962, we had the Cuban Missile Crisis. The Soviet Union put nuclear missiles in Cuba. JFK took a very hard line. He actually instituted a naval blockade of Cuba, brought us to the brink of nuclear war. Why couldn't JFK back down? Because that was our backyard. And if you back down in your own backyard as a great power, you lose too much credibility on the world scene. That's a no-go. This is the same thing for Russia. Ukraine is its backyard. Putin can't back down for the same reason. He'd lose too much face, too much credibility. It's another reason why this means far more to him than it does to us. And we have to understand this. Everyone does. Like it or not, you can't go stomping around in another great power's backyard like you're a T-Rex from Jurassic Park. You just can't do that. That's the way it is. And that was my point when I said, and I never heard anyone else draw this analogy, does Russia have a right to its own Monroe Doctrine? Our Monroe Doctrine, what was it? In the early 1800s, we formulated it, and it stated that if there was foreign intervention into our sphere of influence, we might view that as a hostile act against the United States. And it's the same thing with Russia and Putin and Ukraine. Putin has said repeatedly that Ukraine was a red line for him. We didn't take that seriously. And again, it doesn't matter if you like Putin or not. That's not the point. The point is what you can do and what you can't do. Now, you asked what is the rhyme or reason behind this policy? 
Again, this is not in my article, but the only thing I can think of, Andrea, is there are people out there who want to send a message to China because they know China is watching. You have the situation with Taiwan. China wants to take it over. So they don't want China to get the message that they can do that with impunity. I get that. You want to send a message that we're going to stand up. But when doing that, do you bring the world to the brink of nuclear war? That's just insane. That's taking it far, far too far. And, you know, you mentioned before, well, it will do more good than harm. Yeah, that's just war doctrine. I mentioned that in my piece. Mm -hmm. You always have to ask, will the proposed action do more good than harm? And in this case, again, what is the cost-benefit analysis here? The best case scenario is that we help a corrupt man, Zelensky, hold on to his power in what even the liberal guardian called the most corrupt country in Europe in 2015, they Mm -hmm. called it that. That's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is global thermonuclear war. Is it hard to do this cost benefit analysis? (laughs) We have no business there. It's not our business. And stop me if I'm going on too long, because I want to mention the NATO factor as well. Well, actually, well, that's a good time to take a break. Can you stay stay with yeah. us to the next segment? Selwyn Duke is going to stay with us, because I, I want to delve into this NATO aspect here of the Russia-Ukraine war. Stay tuned. This is the Andrea K. Show on AM 1170, The Answer, San Diego. You're listening to the Andrea K. Show on The Answer, San Diego. Selwyn Duke in the house. Y'all need to follow him at Selwyn Duke, S-E-L-W-Y-N, Duke spelled like you would you would expect it to, to be spelled. Okay, so um, in your article, you say the equivalent, what is the equivalent of the USSR putting missiles in Cuba, and you say Ukraine joining NATO. Say what? Right. Well, we have to put this in perspective and a little history here. NATO was created for the express purpose of countering the Soviet Union. Therefore, when the Soviet Union fell in the early 90s, NATO had lost its raison d'etre. So really, it could have, in a sense, stood down. And Secretary of State James Baker in 1990 did tell Mikhail Gorbachev that he didn't, didn't expect NATO to extend one inch farther east than Germany. But since then, what has happened? NATO, our pseudo-elites have been expanding NATO, approximately doubled the number of NATO countries. Not only that, we now have four NATO countries on Russia's borders. You've got Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, and Estonia. Now, as I pointed out in my article, that's like China or Russia making a defense alliance with Mexico, Canada, Cuba, and the Bahamas. How would we (laughs) react to that? Yeah. Yeah. And understand something. There was this Russia expert back then. He's dead now, died at a very old age. But George F. Kennan, he predicted exactly what would happen. He said expanding NATO was a huge mistake. He said three things would happen as a result of it. He said this in the 90s. He said it would stoke the fires of Russian nationalism. Check. It would bring Russia and China closer together. Check. That's Mm -hmm. happened, too. Mm -hmm. And it would lead to a new Cold War and probably a hot one. And we have the hot one right now, of course. So this was all predictable, and it was predicted, Andrea, and it's so, so foolish. It's so unnecessary because an opportunity was squandered. When the Soviet Union went down, Russia started behaving in a more pro-American fashion. It pulled its armies back to within its traditional Russian borders. It actually helped the United States on two or three occasions with our military endeavors. And we had a chance to possibly form an alliance that would have been a great alliance to have against China. Instead, now, again, what's happened is this terrible, ridiculous neocon pseudo-elite policy has pushed China and Russia closer together. 
all very, very unnecessary. And to make things worse, Ukraine was thinking about joining NATO, and that is really what set Putin off. Like I said earlier, he said that was a red line for him, Mm -hmm. and there could be a very good reason for that. There was this fellow, Lucas Alpert. He spent time in the region, I uh, believe, and he wrote an article some months ago, and he said that this war was about one thing, in his opinion, facilitating Russia's energy endeavors. He said to facilitate their energy endeavors, because Russia is like a really big gas station, as people have said, they rely on oil and gas for a lot of their revenue. Russia relies on two aging pipeline systems. Now, one of them runs through Belarus, which is a Russian ally, and the other one runs through, guess where? Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So Russia has some serious interests there. And again, the bottom line is that we never should have expanded NATO. Think about this, how crazy this is, Andrea, okay? Estonia, like I said, is on Russia's border and is a NATO country. Now, if we, let's say Russian or Chinese troops land on our shores tomorrow and there's a real red dawn, okay? Are we going to say, well, you know, normally I'd be beside myself worrying about this, but hey, we don't have to worry now because Estonia's got our back. And the upcoming now, Finland too, right? We got Finland going to help us out now. (laughs) Yeah, they want to have Finland and Sweden join as well, and Finland is also on Russia's border. And this is insane. It certainly benefits Estonia to be part of NATO, but how does it benefit us? Our founding fathers warned against this, creating entangling foreign alliances and getting involved in European wars. And I understand it's not 1780. We can't just crawl into a shell. But on the other hand, we don't have to get involved anywhere and everywhere launching all sorts of military endeavors. Well, we actually very, very foolhardy. Well, right. I mean, you know, um, Biden did everything he could to push Putin in. So, you know, on his hundredth and his his press conference or speech he gave on his first hundred days in office, he was asked, do you think Putin, you know, is going to go in? Well, what choice does he have? He practically pushed him in. I don't see anybody calling for any kind of peace talks. We've got about a minute left. Um, How do you see this ending? Well, it's tough to say, but I don't think Putin's going to want to lose this war. I mean, I think he just might use a tactical nuclear weapon in Ukraine if he has to. I certainly hope it doesn't come to that. And I don't have a crystal ball. And it's really hard to say. I know that Lindsey Graham said a while back, well, you don't have to worry about Putin launching, because if he tries to do that, one of his underlings is going to shoot him in the head. Really, Lindsey, you want to bet all of our lives on that? Is that smart? I mean, this is the kind of thinking we have with these people in charge. Well, when we've got Zelensky speaking to Congress, his wife speaking to Congress, I mean, right now he's doing everything he can to try to push the U.S. to drop some bombs. I think he even said the other day, I can give you, you know, uh, locations of where you I can't remember how he put it in, in, in a press conference that he did. He is doing everything he can to drag us in there. And I'm really angry at some conserv- so-called conservative military experts that set him up to be some kind of hero in the early days when he's not. Um, Elon Musk had a little peace plan that he put out there. And you would, you know, you would think that, you know, he had said, you know, um, something. I mean, it was like he was excoriated because he dared to suggest by Zelensky actually punched back at him on Twitter because he dared to suggest that maybe there might be a discussion about peace. So nobody actually is calling for peace right now. Nobody. Meanwhile, nobody's been able to convince me we have any interest in being there because we don't. And and it's scary. Yeah. It's really scary times. Wrap us up, Selwyn Duke. Well, the bottom line is this. 
You don't want to die over something stupid. There might be a good reason to risk global thermonuclear war, like if there's a real red dawn and we're being invaded, okay, then you have no choice. But really, do you want to risk incinerating the world, atomizing the country over Ukraine? This is just not wise. And we need to turn down the heat, as you said. There need to be peace talks. And we've got to bring these neocon chicken hawks to heal. Absolutely. Follow Selwyn Duke at Selwyn Duke, S-E-L-W-I-N-D-U-K-E. And you can read his articles at uh, thenewamerican.com. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Andrea, and God bless her. God bless you, too. All right, stay tuned. Coming up, Brian Maloney, we are one from Red Wave America. We're one month away from the midterm elections. Are you active? Are you involved? What do you need to know? Brian will tell you when we come back. So don't go anywhere. This is the Andrea K. Show on AM 1170. The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.